0: Hello podcast listeners, this is Randy. Just wanted to give you a heads up that the podcast you are about to listen to on submission to Christ and submission in marriage, um, I had some recording issues, and so wanted to give you a heads up that the first half, the majority is there, but you will notice that I come in a, just a couple minutes behind when I started. And then sadly, I did not get any of the second half recorded for you. So if you have questions and want to follow up on any of my teaching, please email me at randy at thetableosu.com. Happy listening. All right, there we going. For those recording online, you have missed a few verses. I apologize, um, but we're picking up on you should go back to the podcast and listen to what Alexia said last week because um, she did a great job walking us through this. Um, but there's something different that happens when we read submission in this context. we hear, wives submit to your own husbands. And I think there's a few reasons why that hits us a little bit differently than it did before. I think one of those is that this command, and it is a command, right? He is calling you specifically to something, and it's not optional if you're in Christ, is its proximity to us, right? This one feels pretty close, right? For one of you married, the rest of you... I assume, ladies, you would like to be married one day, right? And so you can envision this life. The ones before, it's a little harder for us to connect that. This one feels really close. And maybe it was just me, but submission is not really what I was dreaming about when I was thinking about my future husband and my future marriage. Um, and so it's close and it's near. I think another factor in our kind of resistance to this idea of submission as wives is that this is very intimate. You don't get to experience another human relationship as deeply as you do in marriage. Both in the really great parts of it and in the really hard parts of it. It does not get much more intimate than one flesh. And so this is close and it is vulnerable. And that scares us to be that vulnerable. And I don't think it scares us young ladies for for no reason. I think sadly the reality is there's a lot of men that either have or are currently abusing women, right? And it hurts my heart so much to have to say that that is not just outside of the church, but that happens within the walls of the church, of men who say they love God more than anything else. But they have taken this verse and they have twisted it, and they treat their wives however they see fit, treating them as less than human, not equals to them abusing them physically and sexually, mentally, emotionally. And even though we may not have experienced this personally, I have not personally experienced this, right? We go on defense for those that have, that have had this. And so we hear these words, wives submit, and our minds begin to race and think of all the ways in which that has played out poorly. Poorly. And in our remaining time together, I hope to help us see what the Lord, through the Apostle Peter, is calling to us as wives. That even though there are some that have used this for evil, that God really means this first verse for our very good, right? What he commands of us is best for us, and I hope by the end you can see that. All right, let's jump back in. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Peter gives us a purpose statement here. Christian wives submit to their husbands, and specifically they're submitting to unbelieving husbands, which is what is meant by the they are disobedient to the word, so that their husbands may be won over to Christ by their wives' unselfish lives. See, wives don't submit because we're inferior in any way. No, we, we too, if we go back to chapter 2, We are called a chosen race also and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people of God's promise. No, we submit because we are slaves, not to our husband, but to a good God. And for his sake, we seek to serve our husbands, even those that mock the very God we love and worship with our entire lives. The question is, Peter, how do we do that? What does it look like for a wife to live in such a way that her unbelieving husband would be drawn to Christ without a word? How do we do that? Let's continue. Verse 3. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter's answer, submission comes with an adornment of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now I want you to be clear, this isn't a personality thing. right? There are some here tonight right? Have really big personalities and your voices echo a long ways, right? And it is so much fun and you're a little more extroverted. And then there are others of us that are not, right? We'd like to kind of blend into the background. Don't use a lot of words. If you had to stand on this stage, would be mortified and you definitely would not speak, right? These are kind of personalities, how the Lord has designed us. But here's the thing. You could be really quiet, right? You could be really quiet and even have this kind of understated beauty by the world's standards and be rotting inside with pride and envy and anger, right? So don't be fooled, right, by the external anything or even our personalities in themselves, your heart is going to show who you really are at your core. It's either going to show that you are enslaved to external beauty and the standards that keep changing and keep shifting and in the end are perishing, right? There's one pastor I love says, gravity will win. It's going to happen. Right? There's only so much working out. There's only so much Botox. It is going to happen. This is going to fall apart. That external beauty has a shelf life. But that internal, a heart that's gentle and quiet shows an imperishable beauty. Right? It doesn't have an end point. It keeps going on and on, and it doesn't matter what the external body does. The internal exudes beauty to the day the Lord calls you home at 100. So the question isn't what's your personality, but is your life marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Which means that this call to gentleness and quietness isn't something that's just for us women, Right Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11:29 as gentle and humble in heart and in Galatians 5:23 we are given this long list right of what the holy spirit is producing in us love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control And as wives you will have ample opportunities to display a life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that is lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, I've been married 19 years to a really wonderful man named Casey Butler. And he is a good man who loves the Lord and he loves me. But I, I don't need the power of the Holy Spirit for me to grumble and complain, and whine, and fight for what I deserve, right? The flesh does that pretty easily, right? It just comes out of us, those fleshly things, my wants, my desires. Look at me. But I can tell you I desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me remain kind and gentle and patient When Casey and I are both exhausted, right? We have three kids. We're exhausted a lot of the time. But we need to figure out some parenting decisions, and we're not on the same page, right? I will need the power of the Holy Spirit growing and maturing me so within those moments come, I can let go of what I deem is best or what I thought was best and submit. And trust that my husband's leading our home and the Lord is leading my husband. We need the Holy Spirit and it produces in us a gentle and quiet and in a loud and demanding and selfish, selfish world. Right? This gentle and quiet spirit, it stands out. It stands in stark contrast when it doesn't insist on its own way, right? When it doesn't stir up divisiveness just for some fun, right? Where it's looking for a fight wherever it goes. No, even an unbelieving husband who does not know Jesus will be drawn to that kind of beauty. But did you catch in their text? There's even more than that. It is of great worth to God. Why is that? Because this spirit continually rests and continually trusts in the goodness of a God to supply everything you need. Because that's how good he is. He supplies everything you will need. And Peter lays before us the lies of women of the past, To help us grasp the beauty of the spirit that trusts God no matter the circumstances they find themselves in. So let's continue in our text. Verse 5. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord You have become her children when you do what is right and do not fear any intimidation. I'm going to be honest with you. This section kind of has been a mental hurdle for me and probably not for the reasons you might think. But before I tell you why, we're going to take a quick time out and I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them, who you believe the greatest football player of all time is. Not Tom, he's <laughs> a cheater. Honestly, all I have to say is Sanders. Did you still see that on the last Saturday night? Okay. All right. Come on back to me. Come on back. You had to go there, I did. I opened it up and here we are. Here we are. I know.
1: I know. All right.
0: Okay, that got way more heated than I was anticipating. Wow. Okay. All right. Note to self: We won't ask that again. All right. We'll keep that. Keep that one in. You guys get really, really passionate about that question. All right. But here's what happened: You guys don't all agree. Right? You have different thoughts on who the greatest is and, right, it's not just a thought. You have reasons. You have reasons why this can or can't be true. And when your friend next to you did not say the name you thought, your head went, really? That, that's who you went with. Okay. And that's kind of how I feel about Sarah. This is, okay, this is the only named woman of our past and this, this is the one we went with. Okay. All right, Sarah, (laughs) right? Because Sarah is the one that convinced her husband, Abram, to sleep with her maidservant, thinking that must be how God would fulfill his promise to bless the nations through Abram, right? That's Sarah. And then when the Lord makes clear it will indeed be her, her Sarah, that bears the child of the promise, she laughs in unbelief. And then she tries to deny that she laughed to the Lord. And he calls her out on it. So here we are. Sarah. Sarah is our person. Look to Sarah. We look to Sarah who obeyed and submitted to her husband Abraham. And Peter doesn't give us any specific moments. He doesn't give us even a list of moments. He kind of leaves us to reflect on all that we're given in Scripture about her story and to think back on that. Some other parts of her story. To remember the times that following her husband's leading actually placed her in quite a bit of danger. And there were a lot of uncertainties when it came to following him. But each and every time, in the end, Sarah trusted the Lord. She trusted the one who had called, (coughs) not just Abram, but her, to follow him wherever he led. And she did. And so to be her daughters, to be daughters of the promise of being God's chosen and set-apart people, we too as her daughters, submit to her husbands and trust the Lord like Sarah did. And we continue to do what was right, right? I love how he adds that. So the pieces of Sarah's life that were not right, that did not align with what God is calling us to, we're not asking you to reflect that part of her, but the pieces that are right and aligned with the Lord. Imitate that. And by, the, by faith in the Lord, don't fear the uncertainty that comes with the unknown circumstances. Even of an unbelieving husband. I can't imagine, right, how difficult that would be at a time when women did not have a lot of value to put their trust ultimately in God, but to submit to a husband who does not love that God that you love. But like Sarah, they trusted the Lord more than the circumstances we find ourselves in. And then Peter shifts gears on us a little bit. And he shifts our attention to the believing husbands that are gathered at the church to hear this letter read out loud. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Of all that are read, I'm going to guess weaker partner may have jumped out, but we're going to hold off on that. We're not going to start there. There's something else I want us to see in this one short verse, because there is a lot in this verse. It begins, husbands, in the same way. Husbands don't have a separate path for living a Christian life. It is not different. They too follow Christ's example in unselfish, humble, and compassionate love. And we, their wives, we get to be the benefactors of that love that is unselfish and humble and compassionate. Because here's the thing. Women, we are physically weaker than men, right? Now, that has shifted a little bit in our modern world, right? There's some steroids. There's some working out. Like, there's some things we can do. We can get stronger. But in the end, right, right? At the very least, there is a nine-month period, right, where women, wives, you are very weak and you are very vulnerable, right? You are giving life to something and it takes everything and you feel very weak. And Peter is calling these husbands, which this would have been completely countercultural, to care for their wives in a tender and understanding way, not taking advantage of them because they could physically, which means, young men, it is never, ever okay for you to physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally to abuse a woman. That is never Okay unless you be confused, that includes pornography, where you take images and pictures and you consume them for your pleasure, your desires, casting these women aside at whatever whim you feel like. These young women, these are God's daughters. And he sees everything. And he will not be mocked. You will be dealt with. Don't think you can treat your future wife or your current girlfriend however you see fit and expect the Lord to listen to your prayers. It's not happening. And this isn't a small thing. Your relationship, your connection with God will be interrupted because how you treat his daughters. So it won't matter what you ask for. He won't be responding until you repent and you turn from your wicked ways. Men, come to Jesus. Do not do that. Husband's roles in the home They are different from their wives. But both are called to serve each other. Husbands, you, you honor your wives and you guard them as precious just like Christ did. They are your co-heirs to the same gift of grace that you have been given in Christ. So the question... The question we are left left with is, so what are a bunch of single-slash-dating-slash-engaged one-married couple supposed to do with a text about living out the gospel in your marriage? So we're going to take a, a break, but before we do, Drew has something he wants to share with you before you go.